0: Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying happy, healthy and safe. It's a big show, so let's get right at it. Later in the show, we'll hear from some people that, well, you've been listening to your entire lives. The American TV Guide ranked Sharon, Lois and Bram the number two children's entertainers of all time, just behind Fred Rogers. Sharon Hampson, the late Lois Lillenstein, and Bram Morrison are iconic for generations of Canadians. Today, Sharon, Bram, and Sharon's daughter, Randy, join me to talk about their new picture book, Sharon, Lois, and Bram's One Elephant Went Out to Play, and we'll reveal a tightly held secret, the true meaning of the word Skinnamarink. Skinnamarinky-dinky-dink,
1: Skinnamarinky-doo,
2: I love
0: that's a little bit later on. We'll also get to know Ion Tani and Emerod Domingo Mabuko, co-directors of Real Black, our film stories, a new film you can see in person and online at the 17th annual Caribbean Tales International Film Festival. Find out more details at caribbeanfestival.com and we'll give you all the details you need to know a little bit later on in the show. First, though, let's meet Peter Hitchcock, director of A Song For Us, a new film about a British folk singer who reconnects with her long-lost lover. The world of folk music is a subject Peter knows well. As a younger man, he ran beatnik folk clubs in England and hired Paul Simon for a mere 20 pounds when the future superstar was unknown in the UK. He also has a rich background in film, from working as an extra at age 10 on a big movie in England to working with Wes Craven in Hollywood and so much more. Let's get to know... Peter Hitchcock your first job was as a film extra when you were 10 years old what do you remember about that experience
3: well I remember going into and film studios and uh it was a, a film called Esther Costello and uh, singing all things bright and beautiful uh, and I think it got cut out but it was a big it was a big studio and I was quite amazed and uh uh, yeah, it was, and they had a scene with a car, and a, they were filming it. And I just thought this is really neat. Uh, you were kind so of swept
0: away by the magic of it.
3: That's right. Yeah, and I went on to do a few other uh, feature films and uh, TV shows, uh, just as an extra. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have one word to speak or something like that. You know, the Horrors of a Black Museum was another another uh, feature film by Hammer. You know. Right. Uh, but that's, that's what started it. And, uh, so w- when I left school, um, I, I, I went to the labor exchange and asked, well, I want to work in film. And he said, well, if you want to work in film, you've got to be a, uh, in the union. And so, uh, I said, "All oh, right, uh, okay. How do I do that?" He said, "Well, you have to be a. You could be a projectionist. You could learn learn the trade as an apprentice, right? You know." So I worked for Granada Cinemas, where they actually had not only films but they had live shows. So mm. little Richard would be playing there, and I'd be doing the spotlight and and, and <laughs> lovely things like that. And uh, then one day, um, an usherette uh, had a trade newspaper, and she said, "There's a job going for a projectionist." And it was at AP Films, which is the producers of Stingray and Thunderbirds.
0: Right. So I'll interrupt you here just for a second. I want to make sure that people know and remember what Stingray and Thunderbirds were. They were in an enormously popular television show that featured uh, marionettes, essentially. Uh, but they were action-adventure stories, right?
3: Thunderbirds are gold.
0: That's right yes uh,
3: one day a guy got sick doing the lip sync operating and said, that's just like moving little solenoids in in a, in a puppet's mouth and breaking them up and and I was also had to mark up the script do the continuity what which take was best work with the director and then my hands were actually used in the, in the in the puppet sh- sh- show as well so lady penelope's hand uh holding a glass of Pono and and it had to be shot uh, right there and the cameraman had a pellet gun and I was sh- scared as hell and he was shooting the uh. <laughs> shooting the, the the glass and uh you know I, I lived to tell the tale of course but um those are the kinds of uh adventures I was having you know, daily just working in on Stingray and then Thunderbird.
0: You also ran uh what I understand were, were beatnik folk clubs in England and you gave Paul Simon uh, one of his first jobs in the UK when he was an unknown over there.
3: That's right. Yeah. Um, cost me 20 pounds, which I thought was an awful lot of money. You know? uh, <laughs> uh, what year th-
0: would this have been?
3: Did, I did, this is about 19, uh, oh gee, 19, 19, 19 1965. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, uh had other, other pe- people performing there that people won't know, like Bert Yance, John Renborn, David Graham, uh uh, joanne kelly um uh uh, so there was a whole bunch of people i would hire you know to come in and and play and we and other people would get it get up on stage and play as well including myself uh uh, so which i was wasn't very good at it but it's still you know and then i had a i had a um a a stable that i converted uh in and and put furniture in it and things like that and uh, we had a very moody uh uh, a coffee
0: bar, right? Yeah. You're listening to Peter Hitchcock on The Richard Krause Show. His movie, A Song for Us, is available now to rent and buy on Amazon Prime Video. You worked at, at CBC for a, a long time. You did lots of work on television. You worked with uh, Wes Craven. Uh, you did the sound editing for The Hills Have Eyes. Yes. Uh, do, do you have stories about that? That movie is still terrifying uh, 50 <laughs> years later. So tell me a little bit about that.
3: Well, the, the, the film was actually shot uh, near an Air Force base, which is not the best for sound. And so I had to do an awful lot of sound sound replacement, you know. So we would have uh, fun, um, uh, you know, when the, when the guy got hit over the head with an iron bar, uh, we, we took it out to Griffiths, this, this big melon, we took it out to Griffiths Park, <laughs> and we started hitting it, right? You know, we couldn't stop laughing, actually. It was like, you know, the funniest thing, right? You know, uh, you know, uh, Wes Craven really didn't did like the sound work and stuff like that. So it was, it was kind of nice, you know?
0: And you worked on lots of things you've, you've directed things, but what we're talking about today is a song for us, which is uh, the film that you have out right now. And I wanted to sort of set the stage for people by giving them a bit of your background, because everything that we've just talked about seems to be in this movie at, at some point, your love of folk music. Uh, it is, uh, a story that I think has a lot of heart to it. Uh, and it follows the path of a British folk singer who reconnects with a long lost lover. He's adrift, he's broken. And, uh, she, uh, comes along and says, Hey, we used to be singing partners years ago in yorkville uh now she feels compelled to help him so that's the this movie just seems like the 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 continuation of a life's work it's
1: tom he lives in a
2: shelter oh, after all these years this place of tom and i wrote that song it's beautiful i thought yorkville was the Perfect place for me to visit and play my music, learn.
3: So, how long have you been playing?
4: I was playing in some folk clubs back home, but I heard your films hot Place for Music. Mm. We had a,
3: a, a fairly large cast, right? We had, a, um, I think it was 18, 18 people we had to cast uh, uh, in, in all, but uh, we had two time periods. So, we had to actually uh, uh, try to match, match the people and uh, we we had we actually had i think it was like 28 songs in the film in different 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 parts right mm-hmm. you know and so uh we, we tried to find the musicians i mean this is like i mean how stupid could you get trying to write something <laughs> like two time periods with lots of music and 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 very very little small budget right you <laughs> know
0: well in set in uh, of course the 1960s and then in present day uh, how did you create the flavor of Yorkville which if you walk through there today is all glass towers and chanel stores and very fancy high-end boutiques there's very little left of what you would remember from your first visit to yorkville so how did you recreate uh yorkville of 1960s vintage
3: uh, well i i i really wanted to do to, to actually do like something really some special effects with that but there was no budget mm-hmm. uh so i cut to stock footage of what it was like then which i felt was was, was a, a really informative anyway right you know and so I, I got away with that. Right. You know, and then we had to, we had to get the costumes, right. And, 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 and find some props and, and, and posters and things like that. But then everything's copyright. So you can't like, you know, put up certain things like I would have liked to put up the John Lennon, give piece a chance. Hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know whether I, you know, I would have problems or what, you know? Um, so we, we, we kind of like, we had like two apartments we had to create in the, in the sixties. And, uh, um, yeah, it was, it was it was difficult, but I think we pulled it off. Um, and we showed we showed we showed some of the stories that that actually happened. You know, like the the idea that the the, the Yorkville was going to get knocked down and turn into a hotel, mm-hmm. uh, which you know we were all kind of protesting. But I, during the editing, I would bring in people from Yorkville to to come and take take a look at the film and give me feedback too. So. That was kind of nice. You
0: know. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, why tell this particular story? You say it's a big cast, it's a period piece, and it's set in present day. It's it's a lot to chew. It's a lot to bite off. Uh, why why choose this particular story to tell?
3: Well, part of it was influenced by the the, the low budget movie Once.
0: Mm. That's what got
3: me thinking um i started to write down ideas like what happens when you meet your long-lost lover uh from 50 years ago and uh and and so i thought well yorkville would be a good place to put it right you know and then i thought well it's the 70s and i like to go to the island maybe i could shoot around the island because that's where a lot of people did go yeah. in those days. It's still a very creative community down at wards island um and and I guess I guess it just the script just kept on flowing and I kept on writing and writing, you know. Um, uh, and that the I think the idea that I was making a film for Toronto was really important to me because I, I I've lived here for a long time now and uh, I I don't see a lot of films that actually tell the the Toronto story like my little film did, you know. And I'm sure there is, but it, you know. I'm sure there's other films out there, but but it just
0: it was a Toronto story, and that's what I wanted to get across. That was Peter Hitchcock on the Richard Kraus show. His movie, A Song for Us, is available now to buy and rent on Amazon Prime Video. Let's meet. Ayantani and Emerod Domingos Mabuku, co directors of Real Black, our film stories, an exploration of black Canadian filmmaking. You can see the movie in person and online at the 17th Annual Caribbean Tales International Film Festival. Find out more details at www.caribbeantalesfestival.com. Here's Ion Tani and Emerald Domingos Mabuka. The movie begins with a question, and I'm going to start by asking each of you the same question. Why do you like filmmaking?
4: I love filmmaking because it includes almost every art form. It allows for so much experimentation and creativity. Uh and at the heart of it it's storytelling for me film was the way that i understood the world um as a kid it's how i like was able to understand what was happening around me i could reference a film and be like okay yeah this is making sense to me it's like kind of my my own language and that's why it's always been part of my life
1: for me i guess i've always had kind of like a wild imagination always creating up new worlds um i wanted to do multiple things as a kid I wanted to be an astronaut a vet doctor (laughs) Star Trek crew member you know the the list goes on and on and I realized well the only way for me to be able to do that is to put it on screen so I can watch it and other kids who were like me can also bring those worlds to life so it's really about um, being able to bring the things that you thought of as a kid to life.
0: And it's also about uh, a chance to see people like yourself reflected on screen. One of the points that uh, Real Black our Film Stories uh, makes is that it's representation is so important. So let's talk uh, a little bit about the importance of that and how you think that representation has changed over the last few years and where you see it going
4: the film that i first saw that made me feel like being a director and writer is something that i can do is uh, moonlight directed by barry jenkins yeah and i really think that that like particular point of view shown in that film the specificity made me feel like okay my small story can make it on the big screen and i think that that's the power of filmmaking when like the world makes you feel small filmmaking can make your life feel larger than life. That's the power in representation. And we have seen great strides in that over the years. Uh, There's so many more um, diverse stories uh, that we can have access to, not only um, because they're being uh, greenlit, but also um, just the accessibility of uh, making a film, right? You can make a film on your phone. There's TikTok cinema now, which is incredible. <laughs> um, um, it's it's just like you know, a portal for so many mm. um young people to see themselves.
1: Yeah, it's been it's been incredible to see how uh film has changed, but I still think we have a long way to go. Um, because a lot of the filmmakers that we've spoken to are still technically considered emerging and they've been working in film since um before we were born. You know, I'm born in ninety-four and the first a uh, film by a Black woman featured Canadian was 95, you know? So we still have a long way to go, but I'm glad to see that um, film, people are just taking it into their own hands, taking matters into their own hands. They're going to uh, Trinity Square Video. They're renting the equipment themselves. You know, they're borrowing equipment from their friends who are studying at Ryerson. You know, they're they're doing all these types of things to bring these stories to life. And that's great because we really, really need to Um, get away from this idea of like what about the prairies like what are those people gonna think like you know People in the prairies want to see those stories
0: too. You're listening to Ian Tandy and Emerald Domingos Mabuku on The Richard Krause Show. Their film, Real Black, Our Film Stories, can be seen in person and online at the 17th annual Caribbean Tales International Film Festival. Find out more details at www.caribbeantalesfestival.com. Let's talk a little bit about another theme that uh, is in the film, and that's the barriers in the Canadian film film world uh for black creators what are they it's
1: a combination of everything when we were doing research for this we were not only looking for funding for ourselves but when uh some directors uh like karen chapman would say like little things on the side and we were like oh what's that about you know um like what do you mean you can go on a set and see that everyone is still white like you know we for me i thought it was really um diverse um but that's not the case. You get specific production companies uh, who make, um, who get most of the funding and the films that they make don't do well internationally. And I don't know if you remember, uh, and this is not like too, like, it's not shady, but mm-hmm. there, there was a, an open letter that was sent out uh, during the, in May 2020, um, by a bunch of filmmakers of color who were calling out specific production companies mm-hmm. about the lack of funding about and it, this this was I think it was very um like off the record ballsy and mm-hmm. incredible to see because they would list the films and they said here's how much money you funded this film for here's the, how much money this film made and it was it, it was shocking uh this is supposed to be like top of top Canadian content and did not do well yeah it was they were just saying it's the same type of story like it's the same coming of age story and. You know, A24 has kind of taken on that lead and they want to see diverse stories because they're like, this is, is this is all that's coming out of Canadian content. Mm-hmm. Like and with an E uh, was the, the best thing that we've ever done. And then Schitt's Creek. And, and then what else? You know, it's the same thing. And they get swept under the radar, but they get $2 million of funding per film. Um, and so it was really... It was. It's really frustrating, and a lot of the support also from Canadians doesn't come until, you know, someone elsewhere says something, like with Black bodies. Ava Duvernay tweeted about it, and then the next day, it was all over yep. Canadian press. And we're supposed to be, like, as young filmmakers, supposed to be grateful that our peer uh, is getting recognition from Canadian press after it, like we can see, you know, we can tell you you didn't care. I say this a lot because it's the same thing with uh with Drake and like Nelly Furtado and Fifi Dobson. Like you know, Canadians get no love until like someone else starts to be like, oh, this is this person yeah. is great, and then Canadians all of a sudden want to support local talent, uh, which is unfortunate.
0: We started with a question that your film begins with. Now let's end with a question that I think is left uh, after you see the film. And that is, what do you hope for the future of Black filmmaking in Canada?
4: Something uh, Claire said towards the end of the film that there are other people working and we need to know each other. And Mm. that was one of the um, quotes from her that stayed with me um, because I think that um, what we want to see in the future for filmmaking is a lot of change. And I think in order to make that happen, Um, There needs to be um, uh, organizing um, and uh, community and all of the um, uh, milestones or breakthroughs that we've seen um, for Black filmmakers in this industry have uh, come from that.
1: I would have to agree. Um, More diverse voices, more diverse stories. I would love to see a film like In the Mood for Love featuring uh, two Black characters or two characters of color while well, they're from Hong Kong. But, like you know, something beautiful like that. Less pain stories, uh, more fantasy, more um, surrealism, nonsense, comedy. I want to see, like, Black creators being able to do whatever they want with the support of the film industry.
0: That was Ian Tanny and Emerald Domingos Mabuco on The Richard Krauss Show. Their film, Real Black, Our Film Stories, can be seen in person and online at the 17th Annual Caribbean Tales International Film Festival. Find out details at caribbeantalesfestival.com. Since 1978, Sharon Lois and Bram have been entertaining Canadians of all ages with their family-friendly music. They've hosted two top-rated television shows, The Elephant Show and Rink TV, and they've released 21 full-length Gold Platinum, Double Platinum and Triple Platinum albums. Lois Lillenstein stepped away from live performing in 2000 and passed away in 2015, but Sharon Hampson and Bram Morrison, often with the aid of Sharon's daughter, Randy Hampson, have continued the legacy. Today, Sharon, Bram and Randy join me to talk about their new picture book, Sharon, Lois and Bram's One Elephant Went Out to Play, which is available now wherever you buy fine books. We'll also reveal a tightly held secret. What is the true meaning of the word skinnamarink? Skinnamarinky-dinky-dink,
2: skinnamarinky do. I
0: love you. Sharon Hanson, Bram Morrison, and Randy Hampson join me via Zoom. I would like to go back in time just a little bit. I want to set the stage for everybody. So let's go back to 1978. And I've read that you pulled together $20,000 to record an album. But here's the part that I found really interesting. And we'll talk about the album in just a sec. But that's the first time that you ever really sang together was in preparation for that album. So how did all of that come together?
2: Well, we had all been individuals, as you suggested, and it is really true. We had a lot of learning to do because I had never really sung with anybody. Uh, Lois had not really sung with anybody. Sharon had. So she was the one with the experience. She also had a really knowledgeable husband (laughs) who had sung with many, many, many different people. And his input into getting the three of us singing together was enormous. That part of the whole thing was Sharon Lois-Bram and Joe (laughs) and Bill Bill Usher, who was the producer.
5: And the way we got, the way that came to pass is that we were all working for Mariposa in the schools, Mm. individually going into schools to sing. And there was a project considered uh, through Mariposa in the schools for making an album. And then it got delayed. And the idea for us to make an album just kind of happened. And we didn't say, oh, my goodness, we've never sung together. We can't do it. We just said, okay, we share we share the kind of fundamental values about what children and families, we wanted it to be a children and their families album, and we wanted it to be the best it could possibly be. And we shared that view. So that was a very good starting point.
0: And each of you seemed to have a, a gift for connecting with children. Why do you think that is, and, and, and how does it manifest itself when you're performing, and, and even in these early days, in 1978, when you're putting this record together?
2: Well, I, I, would, I would say for my part, um, for many years, I was singing for adults at uh, folk festivals and in coffee houses, but not for children. But when I started touring with Alan Mills, uh, doing concerts as his accompanist, some of the concerts that he did were for children. And Mm -hmm. so I got exposed to children's concerts like that. And I thought, these are great. These are wonderful. The repertoire is fun. The reaction of the children is, is spontaneous if they like you if they love you you know it right away if they hate you you know it right away and so you don't there's no guesswork involved and uh because of that when when the work was fun but the earnings weren't much I decided that I needed to have a regular job, and I went back to school. I went to Toronto Teachers College and I got my elementary school teacher certificate. And I was a school teacher, both general and specifically music and special education, total of seven years. So I had spent a lot of time on the floor with kids.
0: You're listening to Sharon Hampson, Bram Morrison, and Randy Hampson on The Richard Kraus Show. Their new picture book, Sharon Lois and Bram's One Elephant Went Out to Play, is available now wherever you buy fine books.
5: Your question about kids and liking kids. I like kids, it's, and I think we all do, and it's as simple as that. We all like children. We like their company. We like singing with them. It's, it's a natural. And for me, it started, I was the the kid in grade six, they'd call from the kindergarten room to come down and help with the kids. So I had, I felt that connection. And I think we all, we all three did. And we all, nobody felt um, embarrassed doing silly things. It, they They were natural for us. So I think... I think we came to it in a very natural way. I
6: can talk about it also from the Lois perspective because I grew up with her son. Mm -hmm. And she always said that she felt like David, her son, was along for the ride. Whatever they were doing, he was just included. And that was really how our parents raised us. So parties were a communal thing and we would sing songs and play together. So. That playful spirit—you can't fake that. If you—if you like children, if you like being around them, they can sense it. And I think that that's the magic of what Sharon Lois and Bram have, have
1: And
0: we have to talk about—we'll we'll get to the new projects in a second, but we have to talk about uh, Rink. We have to—it started off as a camp song. Uh, I think there has been great debate when I was researching all of this. There has been great debate about what the word actually means. Can we? If you found
5: out, you can tell us. We'd be thrilled to know.
2: (laughs) I know. I know. I know. Do you? Yeah. Bram, what? What does the word? I did years worth of research, (laughs) and I found that. Well, are you familiar with, um, with the song "Old MacDonald Had a Farm"? Yep. Skin of means exactly the same as E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure that's uh, cleared up a lot of questions for a yeah. lot of
0: <laughs> our listeners. Thank you.
5: We have no idea that um, I'm, our association with skin is rink was almost accidental. What were you going to say, Randy?
6: I was going to say that it's a universal word for I love you.
5: Oh. Right. That's become that sure.
0: And, and you say it was almost accidental that you became uh, involved with this song. How so?
5: We were collecting money. We were raising money for the first album. And we went to our family and friends and asked to borrow money. And Lois was from Chicago. So she went to Chicago to, to check out her family. And while she was there, she spent some time with her young cousin, Lisa. And Lisa and she said, Lisa, do you know any good songs? And Lisa said, oh, I learned this at Girl Guide Camp. <laughs> and she sang Skin Rink to her. And Lois thought, well, that's a really good song. And she brought it back to us and said, you know, let's use it. And we decided to use it and Bram played the guitar. I sang harmony, Lois sang a song and it became our friend forever. We didn't know that it was going that way.
2: It wasn't at the end of the record. It was buried in the middle. We had no idea that it was going to become anything particularly special until we did our first concerts Mm. and then we decided that we would as a trio sing skinnamarink at the end of the concert as a farewell and we've always done that with everything we ever did whether it was a concert or recordings not most recordings or television shows that became our closing theme and that's the one that sticks in people's heads, along with One Elephant Went Out to Play, uh, uh, from us. Although we have hundreds of songs. (laughs) And
5: and children ask for, you know, recently, um, after Randy and I had done a concert, uh, a dad and his, I can't remember, I think his son came up to me and said that his favorite song is the apple pickers reel, you know? so. it, something goes to to the heart. You don't know exactly what or why, and happy for it.
0: I love that when you look back at the kinds of music that you have uh, played over the years, that you find a little bit of everything. Was that it, by intentional design, or was that just something that happens when you have three
2: interesting people in a room together making music? I'd say it was. I'd say it oh. was both. Yeah. I'd say it was both. We, we decided right from the beginning, we're not going to put any limits Mm. on what we do. Our grounding is mostly in folk music, especially Sharon and me. And, uh, so a lot of the songs are folk music, but you know, I, Sharon and I grew up in the fifties and we listened to Elvis Presley and we listened to, uh, um, all of the rock and roll singers. And we liked that music. It's not like, uh, we thought that it was stupid or anything like that. It's great music. And so we devoted a a whole album, uh, called let's dance to that era. And, uh, we got to sing some fabulous stuff and and on other records too.
6: Hmm. Sorry, Bram. Uh, what I was going to say was, um, one of the amazing pieces of feedback that I have heard as I've traveled with Sharon and Bram in particular, is people who said, I, you know, I moved to Canada. And on your record, I heard my music, you know, there was a, a, a man from Latin America who said Caballito Blanco was his favorite song growing up, a a woman who loved tingaleo. And, you know, there's, there's questions now about who, you know, who can do what kind of music. And, you know, it was, it was only ever the intention of Sharon Lewis and Bram to share all of the music varieties that they loved and enjoyed and for people to feel included in that.
0: There's a whole new generation of listeners now. I would imagine on TikTok, you found uh, a lot of exposure on, uh, on a very new social media site. What was that like for you?
6: We are having so much fun. And part of what I love about it is that we can spontaneously do something. So last summer, my mom and I were at Wasaga Beach. And... I handed my phone to my brother and I, and we sang "We're floating on the river" while my mother sat in a floating sloth, and people just loved it. We just were having so much fun. We just did a little uh, Lizzo TikTok, <laughs> which with where elephant was dancing mm. um, to "It's about damn time." Mm-hmm. The Skinner Rink, the throwback Skinner Rink of Sharon Lewis and Bram, is like at four and a half million views. So I
2: can't believe that. That's amazing. I don't understand it actually.
6: (laughs) We just did one. Everyone's doing teenage dirtbag pictures Mm, and. so, they were showing old pictures of Sharon Lois Bram, an elephant, and people were like, oh, Bram looks like a young Marlon Brando.
2: And, <laughs> well, it was, Lois those, and pictures, were those pictures, by nice. the way, were mm. taken 60 years ago when I still had hair, <laughs> no beard, and I had no idea that I was hot. So the, <laughs> the, I didn't know.
5: The, the thing did, is, not knowing. Sold- I'm sorry, I was going to say not knowing didn't stop you, Bram. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: thought it was just because I was charming. You're listening to Sharon Hampson, Bram Morrison, and Randy Hampson on The Richard Krause Show. Their new picture book, Sharon, Lois, and Bram's One Elephant Went Out to Play, is available now wherever you buy fine books. What,
6: Randy, the feedback? Just just why am I crying and... Thank you for, I didn't know this is what I needed today. And thank you for being a safe place in my childhood when I didn't feel safe. And it's, it's a nice, fun, happy place to stop even just for a couple of seconds. You know,
0: I think there's also something to be said for the reassuring nature that uh you have all been around since 1978 in part of people's lives since then uh and that i think is reassuring for a lot of people
2: if it weren't for randy that wouldn't have happened for sharon and me uh we would have we would have gone a more much more relaxed route uh <laughs> she said oh no you got to do this you got to do what tiktok i said well, what's that <laughs> And she said, well, it's this. Give it a try. And then kaboom. We had no idea. And you get to do some really stupid things, stupider than usual, actually, which is great.
5: Which we like.
0: Let's talk about One Elephant Went Out to Play. Uh, in the book, you invite readers to join them in a musical story about a magical spider web. There's more to it than that. But tell me where the story idea came from.
6: Once we decided on One Elephant, I had an idea about this magical place that Sharon, Lois, and Bram would take children to. And it became um, a counting book. And instead of being a book just about elephants, it became a Jungle Friends book. And Chinling, who illustrated Skinnamarink, has just done an amazing job of creating this fun, silly, whimsical place that I hope children will return to. What
0: messages do you hope that the book will impart to its young readers?
2: Wow. Well one of the things is that, is that you don't, if, if it's a good book, you don't read it just once. Mm.
3: Uh, uh,
2: you go back to it because there are more things to find. I know every time I go back to one of those two books and look at it again, I always see new stuff. I don't get it all at once because the illustrator has such a fertile imagination that many of the pages are very reminiscent of the where's Waldo (laughs) idea that there's so many things going on that you can't get them all at once. You get them bit by bit as you go back each time. And I think that that's a wonderful thing. I think
5: in terms of, Message, I mean, we don't think heavily about message, but you asked that question and it strikes me. And and I think the answer is that everyone's included. And we, I mean, that was significant for us that every child who looks at that book will find uh, themselves in the book.
0: That was Sharon Hampson, Bram Morrison, and Randy Hampson on The Richard Krauss Show. Their new picture book, Sharon, Lois, and Bram's One Elephant Went Out to Play, is available now wherever you buy fine books. A big thanks to them. Also, a big thanks to Ian Tandy and Emerald Domingos Mabuku. Their film, Real Black, our film stories can be seen in person and online at the 17th Annual Caribbean Tales International Film Festival. Find out more details at caribbeantalesfestival.com. Also, a thanks to Peter Hitchcock. His movie, A Song for Us, is available now to rent and buy on Amazon Prime Video. Of course, my biggest thanks, as always, goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krauss. Stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon.